0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, many camps are here, but we're not there. So we're going to talk about draft, these scattering reports instead. We're going to conclude this week taking a deep dive at running backs. And with me this week to wrap up his
1: running game opus, it's David Newman. I mean, this is the moment, the moment of the offseason that I've been truly waiting for. Right. Yeah, everyone's been waiting for this moment, David. Yeah. We're going we're to
0: talk about running backs. We're going to talk about all the wonderful things that you love, trading up for running backs, the true value of running backs. Actually, we're just going to really talk about running backs. This is I think this may be the only episode that we have ever done devoted solely to the running game.
1: Uh, I intend for it to be the last, so <laughs> <laughs> don't get used oh, to it. Oh, it's great. Come on. We
0: enjoyed watching Trey Sermon. We enjoyed it. I mean, it. according in, in my... to
1: according to Kyle Shanahan, we might not even be here come Sunday. So this might be my running game swan song, you know. Who this, knows?
0: You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Trust me. It's gonna be wonderful. I, I just I survived the baby travel apocalypse of twenty twenty one. But yeah, made it to California, made it back. There is a specific sound in the Bay Area that it's like the sound of my youth. It's the sound of uh, Hot 97.7, just the radio station. The same four songs they play every fucking 15 minutes. I swear to God, if I hear Peaches by Justin Bieber one more time, or that, or that Dua Lipa song, that's all they play. And then St. John, he's a, radio, he, he's a radio DJ. If you listen to the radio station or you listen to Bay Area Radio, you've got to know what St. John sounds like. The dude sounds exactly the same as he did when I was in high school. That guy has got to be 97 years old. <laughs> And he sounds exactly like he does, or like he did when he was, I'm sure, a spring chicken. Uh, you know, back in I don't know somewhere near 1998 ish. Uh, it, it just it's a lot. It's a lot. It feels very, very. It, it ties me to there. I'm just really glad I don't listen to the radio anymore. <laughs> that's really what it comes down to.
1: Yeah, I mean, the yeah. radio is terrible. That was your first mistake, for one. Um, yeah, I borrowed tra- my sister's
0: I'm- car. That's all she had. I
1: mean, that's fair. Look, look, but look, the the baby travel thing. If I'm like got significant anxiety about yeah I, i'm just like i'm glad that my first trip is going to be uh, a trip that we're taking together actually i think we talked about at some one of the previous spots. we did but yeah and kentucky in bourbon trail yeah
0: another ask for recommendations if anyone knows pro tips kentucky bourbon trail shoot them my way but, but david I've, i'm sorry Continue. but i've
1: got a few months no that's that's really it yeah it's like I, i've got a little bit of time you know should be a little bit older by then should be what 15 months ish yeah give or take um so, yeah, hopefully things are, you know, maybe she's a little bit more manageable. I don't know, man. Who knows, who knows how it's going to fucking work?
0: I don't know, man. All I know is that now that baby's mobile, running around, closing doors, uh, the whole world is different. Uh, and now it's just a constant struggle to get her to not fall off of shit. Or more specifically, throw herself off of shit. She uses the dog ramp to get up on the couch and then throws herself off. It's terrible. It's fucking terrible, but let's talk about other reasons that David wants to throw himself off of high buildings, and that is running backs. Scouting reports. We decided to to split up the draftees a little bit this year. We looked at guards last week. If you want to know all about banks, uh, let's let's you know just refer to you to last week's episode. Uh, this week, we're going to look at running backs, uh, and just like last week, we wanted to hear some of your questions, so we reached out to the crew on Patreon, asked them for their questions, and we'll get to a few after Trey Sermon. We'll also get to a few after Elijah Mitchell. I keep wanting to call him Elijah Moore. In my notes originally in our draft, in the film watching notes, I had him as Elijah Moore. There's a lot of Elijahs, okay? Very popular name, circa 20, 22 years ago, maybe. Uh, but <laughs> we'll get to those questions. And at the very end, we'll talk a little bit about just some some draft outcome stuff, some articles that I was reading as so we're talking about draft stuff that I thought were, in, I thought were interesting. And, and then that'll wrap it up. Uh, So let's get to Trey Sermon. And just like with all of our other scouting reports, we're going to talk about just brief profile, what the player does well, areas of concern, and then we'll get to any Patreon questions. And with Trey Sermon drafted in the third round, 88th overall, spent three years at Oklahoma, transferred to Ohio State as a graduate transfer, wanted to be the bell cow running back, has some really good running back coaches in his corner. Tony Alford, 23 year running back coach who developed Zeke, JK Domins, and of course, Bobby Turner who I want to talk about Bobby Turner in a second, but let's get to what he does well, because there's, there's some Bobby Turner stuff that I think is just remarkable for a dude that is uh, as old as St. John uh, DJ in the Bay Area. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, what he does well, uh, mostly beat the shit out of teams that are in purple, Northwestern chiefly among <laughs> them, uh, because it is you know if you see a team with a purple jersey, it's going to be game over. Uh, so I'm looking at you, Vikings. If you want to put money on where Trey Sermon is going to break out, I'm looking at the Vikings
1: <laughs> looking at the, the the Northwestern game was hilarious. What was the other, the other purple team that, uh, that he was also Kansas had, state was Kansas state. state. state and so go.
0: we were looking at his, at his film a little backwards. Cause we started with 2020 and looked at uh, the previous years. And as soon as I saw Kansas state, I was like, someone's about to die. Uh, and sure <laughs> enough, the first play we, we see is him the trucking a over. defender.
1: Yeah. I mean the Northwestern game was, uh, was pretty incredible. I think if, if you want to just like pick a game, that's fun to watch that, uh, you really get to see him, you know, have some really entertaining runs and kind of see like a high end, you know, of what Trey Sermon can be. That's a, a pretty fun one to go watch. But, yeah, I, I think when you you get to really what he does well and kind of what stands out about his game, to me, it's it's really like the, the balance that he has through contact and his ability to kind of. And, and I think these kind of go hand in hand together, but it's his ability to change direction in kind of tight quarters. You know, you, you see him. Uh, one of the problems that with like, uh, evaluating running backs at the college level, especially a lot of times at big programs like that is their offensive lines are so good. You know, their, their overall offensive talent is so much better than a lot of the teams that they're playing. And, and so these running backs just have absolutely massive fucking holes to run through. Right. And so you just have a lot of situations that don't, really like help you that much in, in terms of, uh, trying to evaluate what is going to translate to the NFL, right? Because you just don't have a lot of plays at the NFL level that, that you're going to have a ton of space like that, that you're running into, right? So it's a lot of being able to operate in kind of these tighter quarters. And, and so you want to try to pick out those plays and, and see how they do. And I thought, uh, he was, was really excellent in, in that. So, I mean, you see, the, the, the change of direction, the ability to kind of stop on a dime, um, and, and get moving in another direction just to subtly make a guy miss. And then when he does get contacted, I mean, again, the balance is just incredible. Guys just kind of fall off him a lot of times. And and he just has uh, a very good feel for being able to, to kind of absorb contact and keep going and keep his balance and and just kind of redirect course and, and continue to gain yards after, uh, after he gets contacted.
0: Yeah, when, when you think about what the, the description of people kind of, bat, they don't really bounce off of him. They mostly like melt off of him. It's like he shrugs them off. Like he just yep. like he sprayed a little bit of Crisco on his jersey before <laughs> the game started and they just can't get a grip on him. He just, he is, he's smooth. He's smooth as he's breaking tackles. He's got a fairly mean stiff arm too. He can break tackles and, and he does it in, in kind of these small areas when he moves really laterally. His lateral movement and his lateral agility is pretty good. Uh, and, and his testing kind of bears that out. You know, his ten yard split is really, really good. It's, it's, you know, fairly elite. I think it was like the second best of the running backs that were tested. But if you look at his three cone, he's in the eighty seventh percentile. If you look at his ten yard split, uh, oh, they don't have it in the PFF guide, but I know his ten yard split was actually really, really good. It, I think Lombardi had an article where that if you take his ten yard split, uh, David Lombardi from the Athletic, if you take his ten yard split, it looks like you would hope a four three or four four player has but it uh, just he, uh, he apparently locked up at the second half of his 40 and so that he just didn't time well but i at this point you're, the niners are probably relying on gps data at this point for a team like ohio state they probably have that so i mean 40 40 yard dashes are going to go the way of the dodo it's just we don't have access to the gps data so we go off of what what we know and what we see on film but his 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 space or his his agility in small spaces is really good especially laterally and when you combine it with his vision I think that's what really sets him apart because he he can see what's happening in front of him really well and that's why when, when we look at just his outside zone plays and just that splice of plays he reads them really well he reads the blocks really well he presses to the edge he's patient and then makes his cut um, overall he looks like a really really good fit for the base run that Shanahan likes to run which is still outside zone
1: yeah and, and I think it's he's an interesting fit for this offense in terms of just, I guess, the style of backs that they have, have kind of tended to prefer since shannon has been there. Because when you get to areas of concern, right, is uh, the thing that stands out. And, I mean, you mentioned some of the the numbers there in terms of the testing. It, it matches up with tape, right? You see the the change of direction stuff is good. Um, and you see that initial burst is good. But the long speed really is lacking. I think he's he doesn't have the speed that's going to allow him to really run away or pull away from many... Uh, players at the NFL level, like even I think a lot of linebackers, right, are probably just as fast, if not faster, um, than than Sermon is. So I don't think he's going to be a big play type of guy, right? And and the reason that's I, I feel like an interesting fit with what they've done is because so much of what their running game is revolved around is the explosive play. You know, we we've talked a lot over the last few years about how their running game really hasn't been all that efficient Uh, like it's a high volume running game right they they obviously are going to lean on that a lot and then they end up kind of breaking a lot of big runs and that's a lot of uh, a lot of that reason is because they have backs just that are incredibly fast right and so suddenly you know you may have um, you know, whether it's a line issue or or whatever it is, but you have a lot of these, like, you know, no gain runs one yard, two yard, and and you just kind of stack a bunch of those up. But then suddenly you're breaking the 25, the 30, the 50 plus type run. And and it kind of all works itself out, right? They, they've seemed okay with that kind of trade-off of like, okay, we're not going to be the most efficient run game, but we know that if we keep plugging away at this, we're eventually going to rip off some big plays. And, and Sermon, I think is, is much more of a back that's going to lend himself to being more of a consistent, you know, let's get these four or five yard type of runs. Um, but I'm rarely going to break the, the sort of big play because I just don't have kind of the long speed to make that happen.
0: I don't make this comparison um, you know, because I think he's going to be the type of player that the, the comp was. But in terms of what he provides in short area and what he doesn't provide long distance in terms of speed, it really is Frank Gore-esque. Frank Gore was really difficult to get a clean hit on at the line. He was very, very good at reading his blocks. Um, and and that's the kind of player that Trey Sermon is around the line of scrimmage. When he gets you know that into that breakaway area... You're not going to expect him to house it every single time. He might, he may, his, his speed isn't a deficiency, but it's not an asset. Uh, so I think overall that's where his athleticism I would place. And so that, that doesn't mean that he can't be a productive back. In fact, quite the opposite. I think he is because of his vision and his ability to move in tight quarters. I think he is going to be kind of old reliable. And when you think about his fit with the Niners, it's, it's i wonder if he's going to be a 10 carry guy. We were having this conversation when we were watching his tape. You were saying that you don't know that that just 10 carries is going to do it for him.
1: Yeah, i think like i don't know, to me he seems like a guy that that would do better getting kind of a a larger share of the carries and and just kind of, you know, having um that ability to to kind of like just get find a rhythm in the game and and kind of like get consistent touches. Whereas I I feel like when you go and and the 49ers very well may end up doing this, right? Like this is kind of what they've done um previously. And and so it'll be interesting to see if if Sermon changes the way they kind of uh, approach the backfield. But, you know, they 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 are likely a, a team that's gonna use three, four backs and and they're all gonna have kind of single digit touches. And I don't know that in that type of role, like Sermon's gonna have a huge impact. I don't, I don't think if, if he's a guy that's getting six, seven carries in a game, the, the four yards a carry, you know, four and a half yards a carry doesn't really have a chance to like do much for you. You know what I mean? Like you're not yeah. really getting the most benefit out of that. So it'll be interesting to see if they, they kind of switch course a little bit and, and, and use him as more of a feature guy. And then they kind of bring in the speed either later in the game and go more to that in the second half after he's had a chance to kind of wear him down a little bit. Um, or if they just kind of like reduce the number of players overall that they're using in the backfield and go to more of like just a, a one, two punch, right. Whether it's, um, sermon, and then you bring in one of your speed guys that, that seems to be doing well then. And, uh, you know, whether it's most or whoever, and, and kind of let them be the ones that can, can take advantage of some of those big play opportunities.
0: Yeah. Because if he just cleanly fits into that Tevin Coleman role, he may start. But he doesn't end up with the most carries in the game. That ends up going to Mostert. I think Sermon ends up, you know, playing maybe more of the fourth quarter if the teams are winning. Um, but if the team needs that in the, in that second second quarter, third quarter, where you're really trying to like maximize points, that's where Mostert actually plays. I think Sermon is more of a of, of a tool per se, not necessarily a volume running back. If I'm ahead, if I'm trying to ice a game. If I'm up by four or five points in, in,
1: you know, the fourth quarter, I could see
0: Shanahan basically saying, all right, now it's time to grind out four
1: yards in the cloud of dust. That's actually a really good point, too, that that I hadn't thought about too much of like being more of a closer, you know, yep. and, and because we know that they like to, you know, like the, the positive game script has been something uh, that they really try to go after. Right. They want to get those early leads and then lean heavy on the running game once they, they do it to kind of grind the game out. Um, and and so, yeah, I could see that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to for him to kind of come in later in the second half with those leads and be your more consistent presence back there. I could, I could definitely see that.
0: Now, other things that you are a little concerned about when it comes to Sermon's game, you don't really, and this is an area of concern only in as much as you don't see it that often. Part of the reason why I don't think he's going to get a ton of snaps early on is because we don't know if he's going to be an asset in the passing game as a receiver. He wasn't used a ton in a very meaningful way as a receiver. And when you look at his catches at Ohio State, especially, they really were just kind of dump-offs. It was like, I'm going to get out to the flat, I'm going to go to the middle of the field, I'm going to turn around, and Justin Fields is going to throw it to me when he's down to his uh, third or fourth read, which, you know, if you listen to some people, Fields never got there. So, you know, Sermon never got the ball. Um, That's not why. But, you know, it's just something that didn't happen often four sermon so you don't know what he's going to do as a receiver um and as a pass protector he's a little passive he tries to lead with his head a little bit uh tries to wait until people kind of get into him a little bit um and i mean overall he didn't have very many bad pass protecting snaps so it's not an abject deficiency or something like that it's just you know probably not something much like most running backs that he's going to be very good at right away
1: yeah and i think this is um pretty normal for you know running backs coming to the nfl like they just don't get used the same way in the passing game um you know at the college level most places as as a lot of teams in the nfl like to use them um and, and so yeah you end up in a lot of situations where you just don't get a large volume of of snaps to look at where they're actually out in routes and especially like you know you talk about things that that Shanahan likes to do in terms of motioning guys out wide and running routes from the slot there's just like none of that right that none of that that you see from him so it, it is like the receiving element a big incomplete I think and and I don't know I would be surprised if he was featured too much in that regard just kind of looking at the way he's used elsewhere like I, I, w- I would see him as more of like a screen dump off guy. And that's probably, you know, about about what he can bring to the table as a receiver. And then, yeah, I think w- when you look at his pass protection, the the good thing is that it seems to be he doesn't seem to have many issues in terms of like uh, the protection and IDing the guy that he's supposed to be going after. Right. He doesn't have a lot of like mental errors in that regard. And so I think, yeah, the the main thing, like you mentioned, is him being a little too passive and just kind of waiting for guys to to come to him and and really almost looking to like absorb the contact and, and rather than looking to initiate it. Right. And so I think you when you see him as a runner and the style that he has as a runner, like it seems to be. Um, something that he can make the transition to. It's just I think, yeah, uh, kind of a technique, mindset thing, and pass protection. Just need to be a little bit more aggressive and and kind of go and meet some of those guys. Because a lot usually as a back, right? You're you're typically going to be when you get one on one blocks. It's a backer coming. It's a slot guy coming. You know, and and so you you want to go. It's guys coming from depth, right? You're you're rarely, if ever, going to be asked to block a down lineman, you know, the, the offensive line is going to handle those guys. And so you're, you're blocking these guys that are coming from depth and have a running start. And and so you have to kind of meet them with a little bit of force. You can't just let them come to you. And so you saw, yeah, when he did have negative plays, it was usually that, and he just kind of got bowled back into the quarterback because he just didn't have enough there to, to really take on that contact. So I, I think though, that that's something you should be able to clean up.
0: I think overall, uh, when you look at his game, he's someone who is gonna do really well in short area. He does well on the staple play on outside zone. Uh, he does well enough on inside zone. He's not a deficiency when it comes to to gap plays or gap runs, although it's probably not his strength. But like he also doesn't do it all that much or didn't. Most of it was at Oklahoma. Uh, didn't I think he had something like single digit, or like two or three power or counter plays when he was at Ohio State. Um, most of them that were that were good or positively graded were at Oklahoma. One of the more interesting things that I I read though, as I was reading up on sermon was passing the Bobby Turner test. Bobby Turner is a running backs coach for the 49ers. He is now 73 years old uh, or 72 years old. He has 49 years of coaching experience. So the dude has some context when it comes to finding running backs. He's found running backs like Terrell Davis, Alandis Gary, Mike Anderson, Alfred Morris, Matt Breida, Jeff Wilson, all drafted in like the third or fourth round or later, uh, all of which either have 1000-yard seasons uh or in the in the cases of Matt Breed and Jeff Wilson uh, have been or are strong contributors to the 49ers uh, as undrafted free agents. And and he basically calls or texts like 50 plus running backs throughout the pre-draft process just about daily. Like this guy's basically on his phone and he does and everything's a test. It's like the it's like the movie The Game with uh uh, with Catherine Zeta-Jones' husband. Oh, I forget what his name is. Uh, Michael Douglas. There you go. Uh, yeah, I was like, it, it'll come to me, don't worry. Um, everything, everything is a test. He throws coaching tips at them in one phone conversation and then calls them like two days later and asks them to remember it as like a memory test, which I would fail at fucking miserably, by the way. <laughs> I would never pass the Turner test. Uh, he tests whether a prospect can keep a schedule. It's so, like, I'm going to call you at 2 p.m., and then he calls him at 2 p.m. He's like, you, you can't be in the middle of Whataburger, you know, munching on some fries. We said we were going to have a conversation. Uh, and then, like, he's like, oh, okay, call me back at 3 p.m. tomorrow. And like, do you call him back at 3 p.m. tomorrow? These are all tests. I just, I, I, that, even just
1: thinking about it, gives me anxiety right now. How is he doing that for fifty guys? Is he giving like so? Here's what I want to know: is is does Turner remember all of these as well? Like, <laughs> is he giving all fifty plus running backs the the exact same tip? And, and so that he has. <laughs> and whoever look? calls me first is the person <laughs> who gets me. It's like a race. Yeah, like if he's giving fifty different coaching tips, like how am I going to remember fucking which one I gave to which? Yeah, that I mean that seems dare ter- I would fail this miserably.
0: uh, No, so Barrows said that he had a scheduled call with Bobby Turner at 2 p.m. Because Matt Barrows is the person who wrote the article. And as soon as the clock hits 2 p.m., the phone rings. Which means that my dude Turner is staring at his phone. Just wait with his finger hovering over the call button. And then as soon as that thing hits 2 o'clock, boop, hits it. That's that's some dedication. I That's some old man shit for sure. Yeah, you know what? I love it. As I'm, I'm talking, I just, I just carried a, a pack and play around the Bay area from hotel to sister's house to park. I'm, I'm ready for some old man shit. I'm ready to just sit down with some new balances and wait till 2 PM to make a phone call. Uh, let's get to the Patreon questions though. Christopher Bardsley, sorry, Beardsley asks from your eyes, how does Trey Sermon fit? Is the Ohio state run scheme similar to the Niners Given the skill set that Sermon possesses, is this just an effort to create kind of a thunder and lightning type of backfield? Uh, So I think if if overall he fits, I think, beautifully. The uh, Ohio State runs a lot of zone runs. I mean, college in general runs a lot of zone runs. Uh, You're not going to see too many super gap-heavy schemes outside of the the option teams uh, or the quarterback run schemes. So I think a lot of what college running backs do in terms of inside zone and outside zone Um, you're going to see Sermon have an ass to do and they're going to do something similar for the 49ers. I do think that Sermon's vision and his ability to be elusive is going to be an asset for the 49ers. I I do think he fits. I don't think this is just like, oh, we need a bigger dude to kind of fill this bigger dude role. I think he's going to be an asset on outside zone in a slightly different way than we're used to with that kind of big, long game-breaking speed, but still effective nonetheless.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think he fits well. Um, You know, he, he definitely uh, has experience running zone. I mean, Ohio State, yeah, different because you're getting a lot of, you know, a lot of one back zone stuff because everything's in the shotgun and, and you don't really have a, a lead blocker, like um you know, that you're not very much. So it's going to be a little bit different doing it under center, doing it from, you know, positions where you have fullback in front of you. Um, So things like that will be a a little bit different, uh, but it shouldn't change much for him. And so I think um, overall, you know, footwork at at the beginning is going to be a little bit different on those plays. But yeah, I think the vision's there. I think that he's he's definitely a a better zone runner, I feel like, right now. Doesn't have a ton of experience with the gap stuff. And yeah, I I think like he should be the most consistent back that they have. And, and, And if you look at something more like, you know, uh, like success rate, right. Which is just like how often, what, what percentage of his carries turn into a positive play for the offense, right. Based on, on the down and distance and and everything there. Like I, I would expect his to be among the highest on the team. Now, Jacob
0: Lundin asks, why do you think that Shanahan or Lynch not only drafted, but traded up for sermon when Shanahan is the gold standard of taking low drafted undrafted running backs and turning them into stars. Is it beyond hubris at this point? and simply flat-out denial of the available evidence against drafting slash trading up for running backs. Anytime you get the word hubris, I'm, I'm, I'm already in. Let's let's talk <laughs> about the hubris. Um, we talked about, actually, some of the running backs that that I think Jacob is referring to. You're talking about Terrell Davis, Landis Gary, Mike Anderson, Morris, Breida, Wilson. Those are all you know kind of Bobby Turner picks, so you kind of have a cheat code with Bobby Turner. Um, why do I think they traded up? I, I don't think the Niners are I think this fits in the mold of we have a guy we really love and we are and it would make us sick if we missed out on him. And so I thought that Sermon I think Sermon fits in that area for the 49ers. They're not afraid to trade up. They're always going to trade up. That this this is just part of what they do. We're never going to be rid of their trade ups. So yeah. I think I think you I think you have to separate that from drafting running backs. The Niners aren't afraid of drafting running backs. I think they just thought they had other priorities. And now they're like, okay, you know, Jeff Wilson, Mostert, like these players either aren't going to be signed next year or they're not like the, or I need more in this room. I've already kind of torn through running backs. And so I feel like maybe this is the time to go and get one. I really, really like this guy. I'm going to go get it. I don't think they're viewing this through the lens of like running back value necessarily. Um, Although I will say they at least waited the third round to do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think they, they are thinking about that in terms of value at all. I mean, that's, yeah, I don't think what they, the way that they kind of approach it, right? Like you mentioned, I I think it's very much a situation where uh, they identified a guy that they really liked and that they really wanted and they wanted to ensure that, you know, no matter what they ended up with that guy. And, and, um, you know, that can work out sometimes. Other times it's, you know, CJ Beathard or Joe Williams, like, you know, who knows whether Sermon will, will kind of fall into either camp. Um, so I think, yeah, that that is kind of a separate thing. In, in terms of just drafting running backs at the position, I don't have any issue with that at all. I think this is where you find your running backs. Like, as long as you're not doing it early in the draft, right? First round running backs, second round running backs, I'm avoiding that. Like, it, it just, there, there are better players at more valuable positions at those spots. That's where I want to spend my kind of premium draft picks. But I mean, if I were uh, a team, I would be taking a running back maybe every year, maybe every other year, something like that from rounds three and on, right? Somewhere in there, I would find a guy that that's available to me that that's, that's still there when I have a pick, and I would grab him. Because if you just kind of keep replenishing that young, um, cost-controlled rookie running back, right? Like that's the sweet spot. Like you're going to hit on enough of those guys. If you're taking one frequently enough, um, that you're always going to be able to have somebody productive back there. Cause there are just so many good running backs that can come in and be solid, productive players at the NFL level. They're, they're not that difficult to find. So yeah, I think that's the way to do it. Right. The problem is, is when you're spending the premium resources, you're spending big free agent dollars. That's where you kind of run into trouble, but taking a, a running back in the third round, taking a running back in the sixth round, like that's that's not a problem or a concern at all.
0: Yeah, when you think about what the the 88th pick is going to make in terms of money, it's just, it's not a lot comparatively. It's certainly not what was uh, uh, Tevin Coleman making, like $4 million a year over the course of two years or something like that. Like that, now you're talking about spending a third round pick. You're going to have this player for four years. I think over the course of his career, his contract may eclipse somewhere near eight or $9 million. Um, and so at that point, you know, it's like, yeah, that it makes a lot of sense. I, I do think that if they were to have made this pick in like the second round again, I, I think, yeah, that's when things start to, to go sideways, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't think that running back was as much of a, they're not as flush with running backs as maybe they think they are in general, because this is a position that gets injured. It's the very reason why you don't want to spend so much capital on one. Um, and, and yeah, I think that, that, that all likely makes sense. Now, this question is related to one that Andrew asks. Do you think we will or should look to trade Jeff Wilson now that the running back room is crowded? I don't think the team will because I think they really are looking at keeping four running backs because someone's going to get hurt. They're also, who's be- trading
1: for Jeff Wilson? Yeah. If, if somebody offers you a trade for Jeff Wilson, you're going to take it immediately because like who fucking cares about Jeff Wilson? Like- what, was, uh, what did Brita get traded for? He was he was tendered at the second
0: round. Uh, but I feel like he got traded for uh something that was not a second round pick. I think it was like a fifth rounder or something like that. Um, which I mean Matt Breida, very good. I think Jeff Wilson also very good. If he gets, you know, a second round tender and gets like that would be some shit if the Niners basically start <laughs> trading their running backs for consistent. Yeah, they got a picks. they
1: got a fifth rounder, um, and they ultimately for breta and and they use that to take Colton McKibbitz. Um, so yeah, I, I, mean, I think if it, at that point, if you're, you're getting a trade offer for a draft, any sort of draft pick for a guy that you had undrafted, um, you're going to take that every time because yeah, but like they, they obviously brought in two new guys. We're about to get to the second one here in, in just a second, but like you can keep bringing these guys in and keep finding them. And, and so if you can get value back in return, um, for somebody like Jeff Wilson, like absolutely you should, you should do that. Yeah. So,
0: uh, follow-up question. I, people were really concerned about you, David, especially on draft night F- on a scale from one to franchise tacking a kicker. How triggered were you
1: when the Niners traded at the draft race sermon? Oh, zero. Like this was my, remember this was anniversary weekend. So day two, I was not plugged in at all. I didn't even see that this happened until like the day after. And I saw it and I said, of course they traded up for a running back. And then I basically moved on. I didn't even know the details of the trade, like to be completely honest until right before we recorded this, I was like, what did they fucking give up again for, for sermon to move up? Like, yeah, like, it, it's just not surprising at this point. Like, I think anybody that's listened to the podcast for more than, than like two episodes uh, fully aware of, of kind of where I feel uh, about running backs and using those, those top resource on them. And, and I think it's just clear that like, this regime has shown us time and time again that they're just going to kind of hone in on specific players that they like, and they don't really care too much about, um, you know, kind of what they give up in order to get that guy because they, they have confidence in their ability to evaluate the players that fit what they're doing. And, you know, sometimes that works out, sometimes it doesn't, but it is what it is. So
0: two things. One, I'm not going to let you end on a sour note because when we were watching Tracerman tape, and at the top of this, of the scouting important breakdown, you were generally pretty positive on Trey Sermon. We like Trey yeah, Sermon. I like Trey we Sermon. Think he's a good, we, like, we think he's a good football player. We think he's going to fit. This is good. This is David speaking positively about a running back in the running game, even though the Knight is traded up for him. I think this deserves a round of applause. I wish I had a, a sound <laughs> of applause drop. Maybe I do. What's it? Yeah. Oh my God. That's right. That's right. I've, dude, I'm, I, I literally lucked into it. I've got six or seven <laughs> drops in here. And I'm like, well, that, that
1: one. <laughs> Solid. Yeah, we definitely the, didn't edit this. And it's, no, definitely. No, absolutely. I definitely didn't. I can
0: do it again. Like, oh, wait, no. Got yep, definitely. This okay. is the marvel make, of technology. Make it stop. You can't give me the buttons, David. You cannot <laughs> give me the buttons. Um, but the other thing is that uh, Trey Sermon's, actually, I said that his contract over the course of the life of the deal might be seven or eight million dollars. I was wrong his lifetime contract now that the numbers are in over the cap 4.8 million dollars for the entire past like
1: what pick 40 or 50 or something like that like those contracts are nothing this is this is amazing this is if he is as good as we hope he is and we think he may be that's that's some serious value yeah this is value for running that's the i mean the the trading that part is again i i don't uh you know they give up two fourth rounders for it uh, I don't think that's necessarily the smartest thing. Like, is it Did they lose uh, a shit ton of value in that? Probably not. Like, but what I rather have when you're talking about mid-round picks that uh, who knows if they're going to pan out or not, Would I rather have two than one, probably. Um, but this is, this is the way you get running backs, right? This is the good way to approach it is taking these mid-round, late-round players. It's the spending, you know, uh, Jarek McKinnon money and Kyle Juszczyk money on that position Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts.
0: It's a 2 beer kind of night, David. I've just cracked open my second one. We're now moving on to Elijah Mitchell, running back, Louisiana, drafted in the fifth round, 180th overall. Uh, this is a running back that if you look at what the profile is of someone like Trey Sermon, and you think to yourself, good in small spaces and... Not a lot of long speed. Elijah Mitchell may be the exact opposite. Much like the guards, if we could combine both guards together, (laughs) we would have an elite guard and could rule the world. (laughs) And if we could combine Tracer and Elijah Mitchell, we would have an elite running back that could rule the world. But instead, we've divided them amongst four players, and it will be an interesting science experiment to see which one succeeds in the Hunger Games that is the running game for the 49ers.
1: Uh, quick correction from the research department here. Um, not fifth round 180th pick. Oh, that that's right. Sixth was uh, Funga. Funga.
0: This is what um, I get for copying and pasting, you son of a bitch.
1: Sixth round 194th overall pick. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, it is, It is again, very interesting to see like the the contrasting styles here because Mitchell is very much a guy that is at his best getting north-south, right? Like, just running vertically, largely in a straight line, like, that is going to be where you see, I think, most of his best plays. The burst is definitely there, and, and I think the long speed, you see uh, certainly a difference from from somebody like Sermon. Um, I don't know that it's, like elite level like he's not even you know he's not mostert fast or anything like that like he's not gonna be he ran a
0: four three eight or something like that and and i wouldn't say that he looked that fast yeah on tape. he's not it, slow but like, he did not look that fast
1: exactly like he, he definitely is not slow there there's certainly an improvement in the speed over over sermon when you're watching tape but yeah he doesn't come across as like a burner and and somebody that's just going to run away from everybody at the NFL level. So, um, I, I think you get a little bit more there, but yeah, he really is a guy that wants to get, I think downhill quickly. So you can see kind of stylistically why they like that, right? That's kind of, it's, it's kind of the classic outside zone one cut type guy. Like he really wants to just, stick his foot in the ground and get vertical as, as quickly as possible. A lot of his broken tackles are, are him just kind of running straight and, and running through arm tackles. Right. So, uh, I, I think that's definitely when you see most of his plays and he has like, you know, I think uh, a good build to pair with that speed too. He's not like a, a smaller guy. I think he's got uh, a pretty good frame on him. And and I think he's somebody that again can take, you, you always worry about, I think guys coming from smaller schools and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, seeing that he has that kind of good frame on makes you feel a little bit better that, that he can take, uh, kind of the, the beating that the running back position is going to take at the NFL level.
0: I was surprised when, cause we rolled his outside zone tape first and, and you would think with his speed that that tape would look good. And by and large, it looked fine. Uh, I think he, he runs that, that style of run. Okay. But then we rolled the inside zone tape. And I was actually, I thought he ran that run a little better because of his straight line speed, because he likes to get upfield really quickly and breaks more tackles that way. This is not someone like Trey Sermon where the people are just kind of melting off of him, but he he can break through arm tackles, especially if he's going straight at you in north and south. He's not going to be someone who's going to give you a, a good bunch of wiggle and tight spaces. As a matter of fact, it, it takes him a long time to change directions when you look at the number of steps that it takes for him to throttle down and then cut up field. You can do like it it looks a little bit like you know, like I would, right? It's like one, (laughs) two, three, four, five, six, now I'm stopped. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, I'm getting back up to speed. Um, and obviously that happens quite a bit faster for him than it would ever for me. But that change of direction just isn't quite there. And so that's why the downhill runs, that inside zone, is a little bit better run for him um, because of his just lack of ability to change direction and cut in a really, really sharp fashion.
1: Yeah, and it's not that he's like incapable of making people miss in that way. The the, the issue is more being able to make somebody miss like that and then continuing the run, right? A lot of times, what you see is him kind of lose balance. So there's kind of the two things that that concern you about the change direction, right? The 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 taking a while to kind of gather, like you mentioned there, to as he's about to make a cut, and then sometimes it's the balance. So that's usually like the the first one is is usually more of a situation where he's already kind of gotten up to speed a little bit and is having to make a cut, you know, a little bit later on in the play and in the run um when he when he's kind of doing it early on before he 's gotten up to full speed he he can make guys miss with these jump cuts, but he just very often loses his balance after that and so it's kind of like yeah, maybe he stumbles forward for a few more yards or until somebody else runs into him and kind of finishes the tackle. but you rarely see him make someone miss like that and then continue that on into a big positive play right in in an explosive play or something like that so yeah, I, I think you just don't expect that to be kind of a, a, a huge part of his game. Um, he's going to be a guy that, yeah, wants to get north-south, like has enough speed that when, when they do get it blocked up well and he has a nice hole to hit, he can turn that into, uh, you know, explosive runs, I think, similarly to, to some of the other guys that they've had. But I wouldn't expect him to be a guy at the NFL level that's going to create a lot of extra yardage on his own.
0: Look, you know that we love the Spark scores. We love the composite athleticism scores. And the site that we've gone to historically to get Spark scores just isn't doing it. Isn't doing it. The, the table loads forever, haven't been able to get numbers. And so I, I've been on the lookout for another composite athletics, uh, athleticism score. I've come across the relative athletic score. The, the RAS. The Ross. RAS. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not RAS. sure. Yeah, RAS seems more, I don't Feels know, Feels better. You know? yeah. yeah, Ross seems. I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like a store that you get discount goods at. But the Elijah Mitchell's athleticism score, his relative athletic score, athletic score, not athleticism, relative athletic score, nine point five. Elite composite speed grade, composite agility grade, just good, seven point seven, and his composite size grade is poor, which I think is kind of hilarious. Um, but this is this is the kind of player. That you take in the sixth round. The, the, these are the swings the Niners take with undrafted free agents like Jeff Wilson and uh, with Matt Breida, R.I.P. My dude. Uh, the, you take the speed guy, and you know what? If you hit, now you get a guy who hits and hits big. And if you don't, you got yourself a sixth round pick who can be a gunner, who can run down some some punters <laughs>
1: or some kickers, uh, or hopefully kick he gets I there say. before the punt returner tries to make a move because my guy is not breaking down to make that tackle. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: you put some respect on his name. All right. He does yeah. really, really good things in a straight
1: line. Yeah. Cool. Um, anyway, like wrap up areas of concern get to the passing game. I, I, kind of a similar story to sermon in some ways in, in, in the sense that you just don't get a lot of it. And, and there's just not a lot of targets, um, not a lot of snaps and pass protection. Um, I, I do think he has a longer way to go in terms of pass protection um with again with sermon it was more of just like a, a mentality thing almost and, and just kind of needing to be a bit more aggressive in that role. Um but the I think the fundamentals of just like IDing where he needs to go and, and doing all of that stuff is is a lot further along than, than you see with Mitchell and Mitchell. Yeah. Like technique has even a longer way to go. Like there were, there were just like a number of snaps where my guy didn't even want to use his arms. Like he's literally just out there, like trying to throw shoulders into guys. Um, and it's just not, not getting it done in the Sun Belt. not going to get it done, uh, on, on Sunday at all. So yeah, I think he's got a little bit to go, um, in that area, but yeah, just overall passing game kind of largely an incomplete for these guys.
0: So let's get to the Patreon questions, which some of these are wrap up questions about both players as a whole. Um, and Sam Decker asks, which running back of all the ones that we have, don't forget Jermichael hasty do you think is the most likely to be the leader in touches over the next two years? Interesting. So not just this year, but also next year. David, who do you think is the touch leader?
1: In two years, you make me look at like contracts and stuff for these guys. I mean, I don't even know who all is going to be under contract. I don't even Raheem know Moster- if they are going to be alive on Sunday. All right, Raheem don't ask Moster- me about touches.
0: Is only under contract through twenty twenty one.
1: Okay, and this year is his age
0: twenty nine season. He hates. He hits the thirty year cliff uh, next year. So, based on that information, uh, and I think Jeff Wilson's only signed for one year as well.
1: So, uh, give me Trey Sermon. I'm yeah. Trey Sermon. He's going to be around. Think, and, and yeah, I think he's going to be a, a, you know, even if he doesn't end up being the guy that's getting the, the b- wide majority of the touches, like he's going to be there and have a consistent role, I feel like. So I'll go with him.
0: And I also think he'll be kind of good. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. You put those two things together. He's around. He's going to be kind of good. Uh, are you trading for him in fantasy, in dynasty or trying to draft him in dynasty somewhere in the second or
1: third round? No. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I just like, at this point, it's it's almost like, I don't know if we're to a Belichick level bad and, and Patriots bad, but you just can't trust them. You can't trust the touches. Like, they, they're just going to, we know Shanahan likes to go with the hot hand, and he's going to use a number of guys, and, and it's just until we see some evidence that suddenly Sermon is going to change that, like, I just don't believe that that's going to be the case. So I don't, I don't think from a fantasy perspective that the volume is going to be there for him to be, unless you, you know, you end up in a situation like they've been in, uh, you know, a couple times recently where just everybody else gets hurt. And then suddenly it's just like, he's kind of forced into that role, but beyond that.
0: Well, I just got some free intel for our draft that's coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, All right. So James (laughs) asks, uh, and respect for James for going to one name, like Sting on the Patreon. Just James. Fucking love it. Uh, When we're down at the goal line, which of these two running backs would you trust more to punch it in? And which would you expect to be the Niners version of Timo Werner in front of an open goal when he misses?
1: Oh, man, he brought the soccer... You should have went with the soccer reference uh, for the one-name thing, right? Like, not Sting. Give me... Uh, my favorite one right now, I think, is probably Fred. Like, <laughs> Brazilians, right? They're always doing it up with the one-name thing. Brazilians. But, yeah. man, you, you got Fred. Just Fred. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Ronaldo. Um, and all right, down at the goal line, again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, down at the goal line, I'm going to Sermon. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. like... Um, the, from a, in terms of being a, a more physical runner being, you know, the, the goal line short yard situation is nothing but tight space. Like there's a no space situation, right? You're just trying to like find little tiny creases to be able to squeeze through and get a yard or two. Uh And so I definitely feel like that's more up Sermon's alley in terms of Mitchell. I, I wouldn't say that like, he's not avoiding contact or anything, but it's not a strength in the same way that it is for sermon, right? So, I, I, yeah, absolutely go in that direction. Find me a running back that can line up offsides,
0: and then we'll be able to compare them <laughs> to Timo Werner, okay? Disallow touchdowns because they're offsides. That's Timo Werner. Robert, another one name guy on the Patreon. They're just coming in hot. Uh, the, the Ronaldinho to James's Ronaldo. Uh, does <laughs> investing two draft picks at running back mean that we'll be moving on from Mostert? after this season? Um, That's a good question. I think someone else will pay Mostert more money than the Niners will be willing to.
1: I mean, uh, so I'm not going to touch that part of it. Uh, I'm going to say that it, yes, likely. They should be. That's what makes, would make sense. Absolutely. Like you you take two guys. Yeah, I think they'll
0: sign, I think they'll sign someone like Jeff Wilson. Like I think next year's running back room is going to be something like Sermon, I don't think Mitchell makes the team this year though. Or maybe he does. I think he beats out Hasty. Cause if you're keeping four, you're keeping Sermon, uh, Mitchell, maybe. Uh Sermon, Mitchell, and Wilson. Uh, and then you've got like one more. Um, and like Moster. You're you know, forgetting Mostert. Yeah, and Moster, And and that's and that's basically it. Like, like maybe Mitchell or hasty kind of fight for that job, but I, I don't know that any one of them is necessarily going to get snatched up immediately. If they go on waivers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think like, uh, yeah, you draft a couple running backs again, you're hoping, I think it, you're going to hit on at least one of these guys. You're getting a little bit younger and yeah, I don't know who in their right mind, like there's not many 30 year old running backs that are commanding literally anything on the open market. So, yeah, all right. it
0: takes is one man. All, all it takes, takes is, is one. one. Yeah, that's true. All it takes is one. All right, Matt Abercrombie asks, "How do you think the lineup will stack up between Mitchell, uh, when, oh, that's right, Wayne Gallman? That's the one I was forgetting. Fucking Wayne Gallman, uh, and Jamichael Hasty. Uh, so I I completely forgot about Wayne Gallman, and and part of the reason is because I think the Niners will, I- I- if all things are equal, they'll prefer their draft picks. I don't think that Hasty being an undrafted free agent." Um, his spot is safe at all, despite the fact that he played last year. I don't know that's that that Mitchell's spot is safe because of where he was drafted in general. So I do think that maybe Mitchell and Gallman are kind of playing for that last spot, maybe. Um, and that's and that's maybe, you know, kind of where where I think because I do think that three spots are locked up already
1: yeah i I agree I think three three are are pretty much a given um and and you've got the one that's there, and yeah, I don't know really who they're. I mean, I think this is why you bring in like none of these guys whether it's Mitchell, whether it's Gallman, especially hasty like you know these late round guys they're they're not guaranteed anything right like you're you're not bringing these guys in and saying that they're absolutely a part of our plans like you obviously see something in them, you think that there's some potential there. Um, and you want to bring them in and get them a closer look, but you have a bunch of them because, you know, all you need to hit on is one. And, and so I think, yeah, they're going to bring them in obviously for, for camp and preseason and, and kind of figure out who they like more. But ultimately like the, the fourth running back position, like, isn't really doing much for them. It's not going to make or break what they're, they're doing this year, bro.
0: We forgot the one guy that unlocks this entire running back piece. Josh Hoket. Kidding. Uh, Michael Birmingham asked, can either of these running backs play in the slot? Who would be the primary cast, the, the primary pass catcher between the two running backs we've outlined? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say no and <laughs> neither. <laughs> Prime, primary pass catcher. Yeah. Honestly, I, I'd probably maybe give it a little bit to Elijah Mitchell, but that's like if I have to put primary pass catcher in the loosest of loosest terms, it's like both players are finishing last and I don't know who can finish last err, so I'm going to choose one.
1: Yeah. I, I definitely don't think that, um you know, playing significant snaps in the slot or out wide is, is in either of their wheelhouse. Um, You know, I, I, I think It's tough, like we kind of already mentioned, right? It's, I think, tough to say what they're going to be able to offer as pass catchers just even out of the backfield. Um, But I I wouldn't expect it for either of them to be, you know, kind of their, a a significant part of their game, right? I don't think they're going to be utilized in that way. There's not a a Jarek McKinnon among these two, right? That, that can has the, the type of skill set that can be a little bit more versatile and, and motion out wide and do some receivery things here and there. Like, I, I don't think that's either one of these guys.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up our scattering reports on Trey Sermon and Elijah Mitchell, Elijah Mitchell, a sixth round pick as the research department has corrected. Thank you very much, David, for doing that research ever so diligently and Trey Sermon love Trey Sermon. Think he's a good pick overall, third round. Think he's going to be a good, good running back. Elijah Mitchell is the kind of player you want to take a swing on late in the draft because of his relative athleticism. That's been scored by someone who likes numbers for something called the RAS. Uh, now we close out the show this week with something I'm calling the Quick Kits Chelsea Edition. It's not just going to be about Chelsea football. Trust me, we're going to talk about Aaron Banks. We're going to talk a little bit about some draft outcome stuff. But first, I want to talk about these new Chelsea kits that they played, for, that they played with in the FA Cup, which was a loss. Uh, two questions for you first, David. One, why are you wrong about the Chelsea kits? And two, would you, ra- would you rather lose the FA Cup and win as they did to effectively secure a spot in the top four? It's not secure for sure, but it's the destiny's in their own hands. Or would you rather have won the FA Cup and left the top four more murky?
1: I mean, definitely. I'm going to go, I'm going to answer number two first because it's an easier answer. And I absolutely would rather uh, improve my chances in that top four spot. Champions League is far more important than the FA Cup. You got to lock that up. So, um, and then in terms of the kits, like, look, it's. I think it's one of those situations that is uh, incredibly common with a lot of uniforms. You know, a lot of uniform releases get shit on. And this happens in, I feel like in every sport, pretty much like they get shit on initially when you get the promo photos and all that stuff or just like the leaks. Like, what the fuck is this? And then you see him on like in game. You're like, you know what? Those those aren't that bad. And that's kind of how I felt with with the Chelsea kits. Like when I saw the leak and I see you see the yellow, I'm like, ah, like, ah, I don't I don't love it necessarily. Like, OK, whatever. And then you get the weird patterny thing when you get super close up on it. Um, and I'm just like, OK, it doesn't look great but then you see it on in game and i'm like all right I, i'm kind of into this the reason you're into it is because when
0: you see it from a camera it omits the thing that defines the jersey which is that horrendous pattern that's a pattern mm-hmm. that if you stare at it that's... long enough you can see a sailboat or a schooner depending on what you want to call it or if you're a mall rats fan uh the, the the it just looks like a blue shirt which is what their jersey is now which is great just keep it blue instead you're going to put all this crap on it that Look, man, not...
1: take your New Balances and go sit out on the front <laughs> lawn and yell at some kids. Like, I'm not here for it. All right. Yell at the U's. The... Like, be mad at the U's. I'm, I'm not and I'm not trying to do that. What is a Ute? The, but the other thing I will add
0: about the jersey is that the line down the side, down the rib cage, is split. And it's, like, effectively, like, misaligned.
1: It this looks is the like oldest some... thing you've said, for sure.
0: It, right it straight up looks like a 1998 Broncos jersey. And that, yeah. and
1: they are not good jerseys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're wrong. But it's, <laughs> it's fine. You know, I'm sure the eyes are getting a little wary.
0: <laughs> I have not had to increase my prescription in two years. I'll have you know. I will have you know, David. <laughs> All right. So option zero on Twitter. Front longtime listener of the pod uh, sent us a tweet from David Lombardi, uh, who was talking to Greg Cosell. Very, very, very well-respected uh, film analyst, producer of NFL uh, Films, uh, the the early morning Sunday show, which why they, why they don't put that show not at 6.30 in the morning on ESPN2, I don't understand. But uh, anyway, uh, he agreed, Greg Cassell, agreed with Shanahan and Lynch's appraisal of Aaron Banks and said, quote, he has outstanding size and mass, with light feet and plus athleticism for his size. The more I watched Banks, the more I liked his desirable combination of power and athleticism for the position. Now, if you didn't listen to last week's show, we talked about Aaron Banks, and we watched a, a good chunk of his college snaps, and while we thought that he did bring some good things to the table, that he didn't necessarily have athleticism or power that wowed you on tape. He was more of someone who survived on his really, really good technique and really didn't play up to his 325-pound frame. So, Option Zero asks a question I think maybe people maybe were thinking is, what is Greg Cassell seeing? That we're not, or perhaps the contrapositive, which is, what are we seeing that Greg Cassell's not?
1: I mean, I it's it's taking everything in me not to make a three beers deep, you know. Considering the glasses joke that they just made here, um, it's it's difficult for me right now. Like, yeah, look, I I mean, I don't know. I don't know what we're seeing that uh, that he's not seeing. I think I would be interested in in kind of the reversal of that, right? Like, what what are the plays that you're seeing where you feel like He's showing plus athleticism or plus power, like, and then how often is that happening when you look at the overall number of his snaps, right? Like, I'm not, and this goes for kind of everything that we say. Any any of the the positives or the minuses, like that that we're talking about with any of these guys, it's never. There's no all the time things with any of these guys. With anything in the NFL, what we're trying to do is is be like, what happens most of the time. So when we say somebody like Aaron Banks. Um, doesn't have great power, right? And, and and isn't consistently moving guys off the ball. It means just that. Like, it doesn't mean that you can't go and find a snap where like, oh man, he kind of knocked the shit out of that guy, right? And, and he had a good rep. But when that happens, uh, a small, small percentage of your overall snaps, it doesn't really matter. Like, right, that you're not showing that you can do that consistently enough for that to be an asset in your game. And so I think that's kind of, where I'm at with Banks, right? It's not that, that the power never shows up. It just doesn't show up as often as you would think for a guy that's that big. Uh, and, and in terms of the athleticism like that one, I, I really don't know. Like, I, I don't know how you can watch Aaron Banks play and think that that guy moves well. Um, it, he just like, yeah, I, I would love to see snaps where you feel like he's a plus athlete. Um, because I, I I just don't see it at all.
0: Yeah, for me I'd, I'd be curious. I, I think a, a bit about what Dan Hatman said when we had him on a few weeks ago, and, and we're talking about the scouting process and how that works. and And he talked a little bit about confirmation bias, and I, I have no idea if this is true. Or this is just my hypothesis. I, I think Greg Cosell is a a great a great thinker and a thought leader when it comes to the the football stuff. So. I'm not going to sit here and say that Greg Cassell is wrong. I'd be interested, like you, to see what he saw. Because I'm curious whether or not the the confirmation bias begins to creep in when you just see Aaron Banks. When you see his size and you see how big he is, you just kind of think that he's going to be a powerful guy. And so whenever you see snaps where he does exhibit some power, it confirms the bias that you have when you see the guy. And you're like, see, he's pretty powerful. And you log that in your mind as... Someone who's like, okay, well, he's powerful, and and then every little example that you see confirms that bias, and so you leave your film watching and you think to yourself, that guy showed power, and and power usually means some degree of athleticism, so this shows athleticism, Um, which is to a certain degree why, at, at least I try to not. Do a lot of research on a player, or watch a lot of things from other people before I go and watch the tape myself, because I don't necessarily want to be colored by what other people say. It's impossible lots of times, but it, it try to do try to watch film in that regard. The other thing that that I would say, at least in terms of what I look for, and maybe David, this will be a, a good kind of int- like view into the process is when I think about power, I do think about moving other bodies, and when I think about why I put. Banks in my bucket of like, not necessarily all that powerful is when you look at him on, on, you know, the, the, the plays where he is the pulling guard or where he has to get someone off of the ball and push them back three, four, five, six, seven yards. That doesn't really happen all that often. There are some stats where it happens, but it doesn't happen much. And so his inability to move other people that are of lesser size would lead one to believe that that's not necessarily something that he is. He doesn't have the power to do that. Um, and so that's how I would put him in like the kind of low power, low athleticism kind of thing. Um, what are the things that you look for that identify a player as not having power or not having athleticism?
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the power thing I'm, I'm with you. Like I, it is very much, I think, especially in the run game, you're, you're looking for movement or I'm looking for movement, right? Like I want to see, um, either, you know, depending on the type of play, especially I think when you go get into, um, you know, a lot of the gap scheme type stuff, the power, the counter, um, when you're not the puller, especially, right. So with bangs when they're running towards him, like those plays are, are predicated on movement to the play side, the guard, the tackle on that side, they need to create space. So they need to physically move those defensive linemen and push them off the ball and inside, uh, to kind of create that space for the running back to get through. And so, um, that's, I think a big area, I think also looking, you know, it, it, in pass protection, it's a little bit different. And, you know, I think, uh, maybe power isn't the best description of, of anything that happens in pass protection because it's so reactive. Um, and and you're kind of in this position of retreat from the beginning. Um, but you know, you'd like to see like the ability to anchor, right. And, in in terms of, uh, counteracting the bull rush, things like that, um, that just don't really, I think show up consistently for him. And then I think, I don't know, athleticism is, is one of those things for me that just like, is over time you have a good frame of reference, right? The more snaps that you watch, you just like kind of see quickly, like, okay, how does this guy move compared to what I expect a guy to like at this position to move like, right? And, and so the more reps, the more snaps that you've seen, I think the better frame of reference that you have uh, to kind of exhibit that. And obviously with athleticism, you can use, you know, when we, we love to do so the, the testing numbers, and, and things like that to help confirm but you still want to kind of see those things match up with what you're seeing on tape right and, and so i think yeah you just don't see when, when you look at a lot of the snaps with banks where he loses a lot of it is because he doesn't have the athleticism either the speed the foot speed to be able to get over if you think of like plays against alabama where where they're getting stunted in pass protection right his ability to to change direction and laterally move quickly enough to pick up the looper on a stunt. Like it's just not there. And, and when you look at some of the times in, in the run game where he gets into space or in the screen game and he has to go and track down a second level player or somebody uh, that's out on a screen, you know, in, in space there, like he just doesn't do it well. And, and, and so, yeah, I think it's just like having that frame of reference, having the the reps to know like what a good player, like a good athlete at that position looks like. And, and you just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very, uh, that part I think is, is a lot more art than science, right? It's just kind of a, a feel for what you're seeing and, and comparing that to what you've seen before.
0: And I think this is what makes this whole process what I will say is frustratingly fun for a lot of people, uh, because we have the good fortune of being able to watch Banks as all 22. And, and a lot of it. And I have the good fortune of using David's brain to help me decode a lot of the shit that I'm seeing because David's forgotten more football than I can probably remember. Um, and and Greg Cassell probably lives in a very, very similar space and he's got his own thoughts and opinions about this based on what he's seen. But then you've also got, uh, uh, you, you've got Scott McLuhan who came to a similar conclusion that we did, which is that he's not a plus athlete, he's not good in space, and he is a technique survivor. And and I respect Scott McLuhan's evaluation because he's done it in the league. And I also respect Greg Cassell's evaluation because he is a very, very thoughtful evaluator of talent. And that doesn't mean that everyone always agrees on the right things all the time. It just means that this is you know you kind of put things through your lenses and what you think, and that's what comes out. Um, and that's why I think we've always been very, very or tried to be very, very transparent about our process and what we see so that you can kind of ride along with us and, and be a part of that. Um, So that's also kind of why I wanted to have this discussion too, because it doesn't, who knows who's going to be right or wrong in terms of Aaron Banks's success. We'll see, Um, you know, and and it'll be fun to watch, but, but those I think are the things that that kind of differentiated him and what we saw, why we saw it. Um, And, and, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. We'll see what Aaron Banks is here in the NFL. Other articles I read this week that were really interesting. One, Mike Sando did a good article on fifth year options couple of nuggets that I thought were really interesting out of the, out of the article. One, the Niners have only picked up 50% of their fifth year options uh since the fifth year option became a thing in 2011. Uh that is tied for 23rd. They have an expected pickup rate of 62%. I don't know how they got the expected pickup rate, but interesting to see a level is of that, comparison.
1: Yeah, is that just the like the actual number of overall fifth year options that have been picked up. That's like the only thing I feel like kind of makes sense there. Right.
0: Yeah. From the article, that's what, that's what it appears to be. And I mean, you've got to think of like Alden Smith didn't have his fifth year option picked up because he flamed out of the team before he got to that level. Uh, You've got Solomon Thomas, you've got Ruben Foster. This also goes back to, I mean, you think 2011, Uh, let me pull up the article, man. Now you're going to have to make me do extra double research, but Uh, you're going back to 2011, which is going to give you, uh, where is it? I mean, Alden
1: Smith is, is the 2011. So he would be the first one. And then, yeah, first round picks since then you've got AJ Jenkins the following year. That's what it is. AJ Jenkins. That's what I was forgetting.
0: AJ Jenkins, Josh Garnett, Ruben Foster, Solomon Thomas, Alden Smith. Uh, those are the players. And then the ones that aren't there yet are Nick Bosa, Ayuk, Kinlaw, and obviously Trey Lance. So I thought that was interesting. Um, But perhaps more interesting is that the Niners drafted nine players in the first round over the last six drafts, which is tied for the Dolphins and Raiders for the most in the league. The Cardinals, Seahawks, and Rams have a combined 11 players in the first round in the same time span. So the Niners alone have drafted almost as many first rounders as the rest of their division rivals combined which is bonkers.
1: Yeah, I mean, and they've they had multiple. They've had multiple first-rounders in, in, what, three of those drafts, so... Yeah, and, and
0: when you think about the players they've selected among, in, in the top 10, they're tied with Jacksonville for most in the league with five players selected in the top 10, which is just nuts. The, I, I, it just, it just kind of goes... To, it, it's interesting just as when you come to roster construction. Like, there's, a, there's part of the reason why this team is good, and it's because they've had a lot of first-round picks, even if they haven't hit on all those picks. And it leads me to another really interesting article that I read, and it's from PFF. It was Timo Risk, um, also known as PFF Moo on the Twitters, if you follow him there. And he talked a lot about draft outcomes and how to judge the success of a draft. We've said for a very, very long time on this podcast that you cannot judge the success of a draft for really three years until after it happens. And and he does a lot of fancy number shit. I'm going to go ahead and have that be... uh, (laughs) you know, just a way for me to explain really complicated things uh, that I'm not sure I fully understand, Uh, but it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fancy number shit. And, and he talked about how you can't use draft grades. There's no correlation between draft grade and like, you know, the wins above replacement for the players or anything like that. Um, I know. Right. Um, But teams do get better in years two to three after their drafts, when those drafts are generally successful, when they draft players whose wins above replacement basically go way above expectation across the board, which kind of takes, takes into account the quarterbacks that you draft, right? Or the corners that you draft, or the Michael Thomases that you draft. But he also measures draft success when he compares the war of that individual player against other players that are drafted in the same position. So one measure is like, you know, basically, do you hit? It, it's, it's the George Kittles of the world. The other is like consistency, You don't have to be the best running back if you're drafted in the third round. You just have to be better than other picks in round 88, right? Um, And in both instances, teams get better in years two to three, which is where your draft class really shows its stuff. But all of those gains are largely wiped out by year five. By year five, all your bad players are gone. You haven't re-signed any of the players that were like, eh, but, you know, aren't going to stick around. And and really you just kind of keep a couple of players. So it just it's one of those things where it's like this is why the Niners disastrous twenty seventeen draft is not that big of a deal now. You know, it's like it's it, Solomon Thomas not on the
1: roster anymore. Ruben Foster not on the roster anymore. Right? I mean uh, he, George Kittle is in Only one. Uh, George Kittle and is DJ Jones still he's still around, right?
0: Yeah, I think yeah. he's in a one year deal. So
1: um yeah, that's that's it. Two of the Uh, the picks from the, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Because obviously year one, um, a lot of rookies aren't going and like, there aren't many Nick Boses out there that come in and, and immediately produce at, uh, you know, a a very high level for their position across the league, right? Just in terms of, uh, all players, not just the rookie pool. So, um, but generally, yeah, you you know, rookies come in and, and their production is a little depressed as they, they kind of make that transition. Um, and then, yeah, you've, you've, feel them find their kind of comfort zone in years two and three. Um, And then, yeah, by the time that you get to years four and five, I mean, the, the correlation goes away because like, we're no, we no longer care right about like what they, at this point, we should have enough evidence about what they've done as an NFL player. that kind of, what they did, uh, in college or what we thought of them as we entered the draft process doesn't really matter anymore, right? We we can kind of put that aside. And like you said, yeah, the, the bad players are gone and you've moved on and you've cut those losses and the good players are the ones that are still around and, and that you're, uh, you know, hopefully trying to build around. So all that to say
0: that the draft players that we've spent now, you know, close to three weeks evaluating, I mean, outside of Trey Lance, who at this point should be hopefully a transformational figure. hope so. Yeah, they're not really, we're not really going to know, or they shouldn't have too much of an impact until really next year, unless the Niners get really, really lucky and, and someone produces immediately. But what this season will, I think, bring a focus to are going to be the Javon Kinlaws of the world, the Brandon Ayuk's of the world. These are the players that I think are going to really help the Niners in, in this year, or if the Niners drafted well last year, I should say, will really help the team this year. So, Maybe we'll take a look at them later on this offseason because we've got some time. We've got some time. We've now, uh, my travels are at least done for a little bit until we head to Kentucky for my birthday. Um, So we're now going to actually have some time to do some Patreon stuff. So definitely go to patreon.com slash better rivals and check out our next video, which will happen this weekend. uh, And it's going to probably be Ambry Thomas. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at better rivals. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners.